It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of The Extra Inch. More sizzling hot, triple X bonus content, which means I'm Wendy, but there's no sidekick, there's no tactics guy, and instead I'm joined by Ben Haynes, creative director of 90 Min Football. Hello, Ben. Hiya, mate. That was, that was a, a very raunchy intro, and I can guarantee you I'm not going to live up to that billing. Mate. <laughs> Under any circumstances. Y- you, you've got to now. The damage is done. <laughs> you 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 got to live up to it. Uh, so ben, much pressure. <laughs> we're going to talk a bit about you and your role and about 90 Minute Football. But to start off with, um, you recently met Harry Winks and Son Hyung Min. Tell us how that came about and what were they like? So I do I, I do a little bit of work for Five Live Sport as well. I do a little bit of work with the BBC. Um, and they sometimes will have me on as, as someone who talks more generally about football, but also about Spurs. And they just kind of reached out and said, we're going to do one of these media days. And I don't know whether you caught any of the any of the coverage around it, just either on social or on TV or whatever. But it's where the players go and do all of their walk-ins. You know, they do the, the GIFs and the green screens and everything. And it is it's honestly a bit of a, a bit of a hell day for most people because they have all 30 players or whatever going around what look like these little uh, gazebos in the indoor training centre and they all go into one and then do their little line to camera and then they go into the next one and um, they probably do I reckon over the course of the day they probably do about 40 perhaps lines to camera or walk-ins or shots in the new kit or um, all of these just little tidbits really and so I had a really really easy job we with Five Live we were doing the Football Daily podcast and we had um, Son and, and Winks come and, and sit down and, and have a bit of a chat with us really and and given the kind of nature of what we do at 90 Min I was quite lucky and they said look just just have a natter no pressure you don't have to get a line out of anyone you just have to talk and and as a Spurs fan that's something that I find sort of quite easy when you're presented with a one of the nicest people that I think I've ever met in my life in in Son and then and then B someone who is through and through Spurs and and lives lives Spurs as much as the rest of us who are in the stands still you know I mean I don't don't know if you heard but Harry Winks saying that he was in the stands with his dad from when he was sort of eight or nine years old all the way through to the point where he was playing for Spurs which was just really dreamy to be honest. I'm a massive Winks fan um so I'm sort of unapologetic about that. And there's quite a lot of um, criticism of him within our fan base. And I just do not get it. Based purely on the fact that he's a Spurs fan. He's been at the club since he was really little. He's been watching us, like you say, from eight, nine years old. Plus, he's a, he's a really nice lad himself. And not least, a very, very, very talented player. Um, so I, I'm... I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm riding against the the wave sometime with uh, sometimes with Winks, and I, and I don't understand why. Yeah. Um, what 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 were they like, kind of? Because obviously they they have they're there to do a job, and that's completely understandable. And they're probably not only speaking to you, but they're talking to multiple other agencies, and I don't know, maybe even football journalists. Um, what were they like, kind of behind the scenes? Were, were they were they just normal people? 
Mate, I, I have to say, like, it was the most... There was a there was a moment about two minutes into the interview, so we did Winks first, and there was about, a moment about two minutes in where I just kind of... We also videoed it, and you can see I, I literally visibly... I relax. My entire body just sort of, like, relaxes when I think, oh, my God, he's, he's a really good guy, and he's a massive Spurs fan, and he is so in it, you know? He's yeah. absolutely in it, and, and he's living and breathing it in the same way that I would be if I had ever got anywhere near that level of football. Um, it, it, I, I would I would be exactly the same as him, just buzzing to play at that stadium, delighted to wear the shirt, delighted to be a part of it. And I, I, I think I said at the time, I think I said even not, maybe not during the interview, but I interviewed Winks uh, post the Champions League final. So we're in the mix zone and... I did an interview with him there and what stood out to me is how hurt he was about losing the game for his club. There's a lot of people that were gutted about losing. We're all gutted that Spurs lost the Champions League final, but he was hurting on a level that was just, he was just distraught. Um, and that in some way, for me, I mean, we all only got to enjoy the Champions League final for about 20 seconds, but... I liked the fact at the time that even though I felt absolutely rubbish having to speak to these players and seeing all the Liverpool players run past with the trophy, it, it made me feel on some level a little bit better. I was like, well, there's someone in my team who absolutely gets what I'm feeling right now and is feeling exactly the same. And yet he's on the pit, you know. And just to come back to what you, sa- what you said, mate, I'll come on to Sun in a second, but just to come back to what you said, it does feel with Wink sometimes. Like we, we, we sort of look around the team when things don't go right and it's almost like we, we pick at random who we're going to decide this week is to blame. Like we, we sort of turn around and go, well, we're, we're having difficulty breaking Newcastle down. Must be Winks then. And yeah. it's like that, that to me on, on, on some level shows a real lack of understanding of what his role actually is within our team. Yeah, I think you've nailed it, to be honest. It's, it's, it's assuming that Winks is failing at things that I don't think he's been asked to do in the first place. And that frustrates the hell out of me. I think Winks is our Jorginho. I've said it before. I think he's, he's, he's our possession player. He's, he's as much of a defensive player in terms of keeping the ball as he is an offensive ball player in terms of ever, getting, getting the ball to the attacking midfielders. Do you ever feel like um, Spurs fan are, blind, are blindsided by the, fact that, uh, by the fact that he is a Spurs fan himself? Do you think we give him more leeway? I feel the opposite. Um, I some, and I feel... I, I, I'm going to sound like I'm on my hobby horse now about academy players, <laughs> but I, I feel like academy players are given a lot less time than signings. And I think that's right. a, a problem with the culture of English football and will generally... I think there'll be a change in that over the next five, ten years because we are producing some of the best footballers in Europe, if not the world. Um, but academy players, let, let's take Josh Onoma as an example. Mm. He he got a few games, normally at left wing or behind the striker, which is not his position, never was, uh, never will be. And people were saying he's rubbish. Uh <laughs> Whereas someone like Paulinho, uh, who was bought for multiple millions, was a Brazilian international, was absolutely terrible and got, I don't know, tens and tens of tens of games. Um, and, and people were just like, we've got to give him a chance. We spent all this money on him. Well, there's no, there's, there's, you've got to apply the same logic to academy players as well. That's, or just, or just don't spend all the big money in the first place. Um, that's a very yeah, good I, point. I mean, Soldado would be another example. And I mean, there's been countless over the years. I can remember back to Rebroff, for example, where standing in the in in the in the park lane with my uncle, absolutely losing his mind at this guy that had been signed for what was it, 11 million at the time. And I'm sure there would have been countless other people that just would never even got the same chances that he did. So um, no, I think you're absolutely right. And I mean, to I, come, sorry, go on. Mate. Yeah, just to add a caveat, I'm not saying that Josh Onomoa is <laughs> is good enough to play <laughs> for, for, for Brazil. And ultimately, you know, he's ended up in the Championship and. That's a great place for him to be right now, and I'm really pleased for him. I'm, I'm by no means saying that if we'd stuck with him, he'd be like an elite level player. What I'm saying is, let's not write them off immediately, and and let's give them the same amount of um, time to bed in as we would to any new signing. No, I think it's a completely valid point, and I think that uh, that it it comes back to that idea that ultimately. If you spent a load of money on someone, they're automatically great and and they're automatically deserving of a load of chances. Um, and and we're almost like willing them on because you want to be proved right that your money was well spent, particularly at Spurs, where we maybe don't spend as much as others and we don't offer 
astronomical wages that break our wage structure. When we do, we want it to be right. We want it to be worthwhile. And we want to believe that our scouting network is better than anyone else's when in actual fact, it's probably very on a very similar level to to most of the elite sides out there. But um, we want to believe that we get it right where others don't. And I think that's a very normal part of being a a very, very loyal fan. Absolutely. with, uh, let with, me let me tell you about Son. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, must do. tell you about because I, I it, it's one of those things that um that it, it was again in the modern age of of the players that you you see here there and everywhere that are on social media they do whatever they want for their social media and then when they sit down in front of a camera they go flat and lifeless and boring and they have nothing to say and they're not interesting and they are living interesting lives and when they're on their own time I'm sure they're wonderful but often you get the same lines trotted out and and at times that can be quite soul destroying for Mm. both a fan a viewer someone who is doing the interview he is the antithesis of that and again I can't tell you how much of a relief it is as a Spurs fan to go in knowing that you're going to interview him later on in the day or whatever and just praying that he'll be every bit as lovely and kind and friendly as he comes across every time you ever see him. He was that and a million times more. From You know I was saying about the fact there was maybe 30, 40 media there. From the moment that he got in, he spent the entire time, he was there longer than anyone else, just running around having a laugh. Deli Ali got there, Deli Ali was injured at the time. Deli Ali got there maybe an hour after everyone else. Son was still there, had finished all of his stuff and just spent the entire afternoon just trying to make Deli Ali laugh so that he couldn't get through <laughs> his media bits. He literally, Deli Ali was supposed to... He's supposed to say his name and his position and um, and stand in front of a green screen. And then every time he tried to do it, Son just would start singing, we've got Ali. <laughs> so he had to just keep doing takes over and over and over again. And I, I sort of, I found myself, I'm probably like a bit of a weirdo, but I just found myself standing there, almost people watching those two for about half an hour. And I just thought, how lucky are we to have this guy at our club? How lucky are we to have someone that brings that level of energy and that level of joy to to everything that he does um, and even during the interview of us I sort of said to him like I, I, I didn't re- I hoped you would be this happy but you are just the happiest person that I've ever met and he made this lovely point about the fact that he was like this is usually a pretty rubbish day for most people and it's a lot of work and it goes on for a long day but I want to make it as fun for you as possible because you have a job to do and oh. I appreciate that my job is probably like a, a, a fun every day and for some people it might not be the case and so I want to make it as good for you as possible I just thought how are you that thoughtful you know when we're told we've been told for years and years and years that footballers are that that they're selfish and egotistical he is he is an absolute breath of fresh air so he was amazing sorry I just thought I I should tell that story because it's it's so so good to hear he's too perfect there's got to be a skeleton in that closet there's got to be something he's he's done some bad things at some point surely yeah I mean he's too perfect He's a national hero and back home, and and yet he's saving him, saving, getting married, and and sort of messing about until he's finished with his career. I mean, it's just unbelievable. uh, You think back to what you were doing at eighteen at university. I certainly wasn't thinking like, oh, I probably should wait until my career's done before I start (laughs) messing about and being a bit of an arsehole, you know. So he was. uh, He's he's a very special character. We're so lucky to have, like you say, to to have these. genuine people in our in our squad and I think what's really good is that Spurs don't exploit it too much because it would be very very easy with someone like Son just to have him constantly doing everything every bit of media going and to to I don't know rinse him rinse him dry basically and just do do everything around Son but it feels like they're quite good at sort of saving him and and making use of the rest of the squad for all their events and, and media duties um and I kind of admire Spurs for doing that they're we we went through this period where every player was so painfully media trained and would just say the same stock phrases. And I, I love I love Kane dearly, but he can be a little bit like that sometimes in front of the camera. Um, but when you've got people like Son, who's a bit of a he's, he's a bit left field and he's he's a bit unusual and he's just completely natural and he'll say what he wants to say rather than what the media would expect him to say. It's it's lovely to have that, and well done to the club, I suppose, for for not overdoing it with him. Yeah, and I think with with some like Son, it it, it comes so naturally. So I'd imagine, and I, I can't be completely sure on this, but I'd imagine the club panic a lot less when um when he's on camera or when he's doing an appearance somewhere. 
Um, we, all the players on this day were kind of man-marked by someone from the media team. And that is different from other clubs because other clubs that we went and did the, the media days at, um, the players can be just left of you. They, they trust their players to, to get it right. And we have quite an old-school attitude when it comes to um, how players do things at Spurs. I mean, you alluded to it there in, in the sense that for the longest time, they just used to trot out lines. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was at times quite painful. You know, you'd be watching, watching something that, that we'd put a player forward for and you'd think, I've learned nothing about you today. And I think we owe a little bit to, to Delhi, to be honest. I mean, him, would you remember when yeah. he first came in? Him and, and Dyer. Absolutely. And I mean, it's, uh, to me, I'm quite sad that we don't see so much of that as, at the moment. I suppose that, that's partly in the, in, down to the fact that Dyer's played a lot less. He's been injured a lot and he's had a horrible last couple of years just in terms of his illness and injury runs, etc. Um, but Delhi was one of the first people that came into our team and brought a bit of personality that was outside of the box that then became infectious with other people. Yeah, and yeah, you're again, so right there. I, I love that Pochettino bans dressing room selfies. Like I hate them. I cannot stand the idea that you that you um, somehow have like a sanctuary there that is that is penetrated by sh- like stupid egotistical stuff that that really in the grand scheme of life doesn't matter. But it means that when something does get kind of leaked out, like Champions League quarterfinal, and you get a look in. And you see that it's everything that you would hope it to be. Pochettino giving it big ones, kind of in the the, the ski sit position, grabbing his cojones. I'm <laughs> I'm thinking like this. This is like exactly how I would expect it. Now don't don't ruin it. I don't want to see anymore. You know. Um. But off the, but outside of that, I'm, get as much personality and as much character in there as possible. And I think we thankfully, as you said, we have kind of evolved a little bit, and we are getting better with with getting our players' personalities out there. I still think there's a lot that we can do I mean we can come into that later on so I'm, a, I'm aware that I'm sort of diatribing here no it's great shout out to Kevin Vimmer as well because uh, it was his relationship with Son uh, that, that made Son initially oh God, quite yeah. adorable to, to, to see on screen as well and I think he kind of he helped him settle in and, and um, helped bring him he let him come out of his shell in his own way absolutely um, and, and you're seeing that on the pitch as well you're seeing a guy that is completely happy and comfortable yeah. on the pitch and, and he's a different player from when we signed him you remember when we, in his first season he looked, a, he looked a little bit lost I thought there was a, clearly a wonderful player in there just a little bit lost in terms of like what we were asking him to do um, and he's so expressive now it's, it's just been wicked watching his development all of the best players have personality on the pitch and I think it's a really important element and that's something that, that Pochettino has touched on particularly in regards to Walker Peters' development saying that he needs to sort of be more assertive and, and work out who he is on the pitch um, and I, I do think that's something that's often often um, forgotten. Um, I do want to come back later, Ben, to remind me if I forget to um, what you were saying about Pochettino there in relation to the current goings on behind closed mm. doors. But before mm. we do that, um, tell us a little bit about 90 Min Football and your role for them. Yeah, sure. So, um, so we're a global football media company, a bit of an interesting beast, really, in 90 Min, in that we, ha- we go out in 13 different languages. I often say we're one of the best-kept secrets in, in football in that we're absolutely enormous. We, we have about 300 employees worldwide, um, go out in multiple markets, have big followings in Brazil and Colombia and Mexico. We have offices in Germany and France and Spain and the US. Um, but for the longest time, we're a platform where we basically encouraged fans to come on and, and write for us. I don't know. Did you ever use 606 on, yeah. on BBC? And like, remember that this was probably going back 10, 15 years and I am showing my age. Like we, you, you would go on and you would, for those people who don't know, you could write, maybe, was it about two, 300 words perhaps? Yeah. Of what, of what you felt had happened within a game. It was like a forum and, with the Twitter restrictions, basically. Exactly, exactly. And then, and then people would sort of reply back. And I remember at, the, at that time... Um, that there were people that you would occasionally you'd see their name pop up and you'd read their article. Well, we kind of formatted a, or created a, a tech that allowed fans to get an article published on 90min.com. So you'd go on to 90min.com and then you could just sign in through Facebook and then you could write an article about your team um, and then send it through to us. And then if it didn't have too much cursing and it felt like it was on the money a bit in terms of the opinion, um, we'd suggest some changes and then send it back to people. And um, and then we'd be like, look, if, you, if you're happy with the changes, then we can publish this. Um, and we have subscription with Getty Images, for example. So fans could come on and write and then get really good pictures. They could drag in social comment as well from Twitter or wherever they wanted. Um, and then they could they could create 
decent level journalism, but from a fan's perspective. And so we really, originally we really loved the idea of just trying to empower fans, but not do it in a leery and sweary way. You know, try and bridge the gap between the sniffy kind of shirt and tie journalism that often looks down its nose at fans and also not veer too far towards the idea of the kind of angry, agitated, I just want to come on here and rant about something fans. Arsenal so, fan TV fans. I, I, di- I didn't say it, but I'm glad that you did. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> so, uh, so we, we looked for that sort of perfect middle ground, really. Um, but then, given just the way that the media industry moved, um, everything just moved so quickly that um, written word became less important and instead social, video, um, all became much more prominent. And so I was originally just started out as a, as a director of video content um, but and was just out creating content with brands, with, um, with clubs, with players. Um, and then over the course of my time in the company, I've kind of taken on more of a strategic role, but also just through proxy have um have always, have always ended up hosting our our video content so i'm now in a kind of creative director position where i'm trying to uh strategize around the way that i want us to move forward and how i want us to grow as a brand because i the way i see the media industry at the moment um i feel like there is there's an insatiable appetite for for news and i don't often look at any of it and feel like this is valuable um there is so much news out there and particularly when you look at the transfer window for example i feel like social media just it exploded but in a horrible horrible way during the transfer window so right now my job at 90 min is to try and look at what we do across social media what we do across video what we do across written and try and work out the best ways for us to move forward as a brand and still service fans in the same way that we always intended to to make sure that fans opinions and fans voices are getting heard to make sure that we're uh, discussing the things that fans want us to discuss while still at the same time having a little bit of a laugh enjoying it but not being leery and sweary and descending into fast like the lot from down the road what you what you're doing for um, 90 min would be a bit of a dream job i think for a lot of our listeners we'll have people listening who are keen to get involved with football media and are really interested in hearing the kind of day-to-day stuff you do just without being i don't, don't want to delve into your personal life too much but could you give no, a bit of a background in terms of how Mate, how you landed this job, what you did to prepare yourself for it, and what kind of things would people want to kind of focus on if they wanted to go down this career route? Sure, um, no, ask me. I'm happy to wish for anything. Ask me whatever you would like. I've, um, I, I think we, we spoke a little bit before off air about the idea of um, falling into the media industry. And um, to touch on what you just said then, if you had told the 13, 14 year old version of me that this is the job that I'd be doing, um, I, I just would, I would have bitten your hand off. I, I absolutely, this is dream scenario for any football fan is to work on the game that you love and be able to talk about a team that you love as part of your job. I mean, it's, it's absolutely, like I said, just absolute dream. Um, and I think as a result as well, I, I, I live in a constant state of, um, uh, what's that, that classic, um, syndrome that people talk about the idea of you not quite believing that you're good enough to do whatever it is that you do. Um, I think we all suffer from that. Um, imposter syndrome. Yeah, imposter syndrome, yeah. where you sort of think like, "How am I here doing this? This is incredible." Um, but the, the the number one reason I would say why I, I sort of am in this position, um, and without meaning to sound in any way sort of up my own bum, is um, I, th- I think you just having something in mind that you would like to do, where you want to be, and then just doing whatever it takes to make sure that you kind of you kind of get there. So my background was. I started out in, in, in drama. I worked a little bit on the, the London 2012 Olympics. I, when I was at uni, I had no interest. I was at uni from 2008 to 2011. I had sort of no registered interest in working in media. Um, and I took on a role at my university when I finished my degree. And it just so happened that I worked a bit with the student media for that. And I thought, you know what, this is really cool. It's really interesting. It gives me a buzz when I when I do it. Um, I was finding that at the end of a day working on stuff for the with the video team at, at the university, I was like, this is interesting, you know, this is getting me going. And I'm waking up in the morning and on days when I'm doing that, I feel great. I feel like this is exactly what I want to do. And that feeling's really addictive. It, it sort of, you can't help but want to have that feeling again. You know, it's, I'd, I'd liken it to going to the football. You know, when you wake up on match day and you can't wait for match day, um, 
it often means that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays, you're sort of waking up and it feels a bit flat, you know. And um, so I got a little bit addicted to that feeling. I went, I went and worked on the Olympics just kind of as a, as a production assistant, um, just inquired, cold inquired about how I could get involved. Um, and then got a job as a runner on EastEnders, believe it or not. I mean, the, the furthest thing from Premier League football. <laughs> but, uh, but I just knew, I, I, I hadn't dreamed of spending my time getting apples for Ian Beale and um, <laughs> strawberries for Phil Mitchell. But, um, but it was an in. And to me, that was like, right, OK, this is the start. I'll, I'll, I'll find my way from here, but I'm in the door. And that is the biggest bit of advice I give to anyone. Get your foot in that door one way or another. Do whatever it takes. Like work for free. Make people cups of tea. Make people cups of coffee. Whatever it is that means that you get to meet people and network and you'll find stuff comes to you. If you're just in the right place at the right time, you will get opportunities and you just got to keep putting yourself in that right place. So I worked on EastEnders for a bit as a runner, progressed a little bit there. Knew I wanted to work at football, uh, work, work within football, sorry. So, and when a job came up at IMG that I saw, um, meant I could get into sport. And I started working on tennis and uh, projects with Rolex around sailing and golf. And then when a job came up at Premier League Productions, um, I made a sort of transition across again. So it was by no means a straight path. Got into Premier League Productions. And then once I saw that the, the, the online industry was, was booming and that everything was moving away from television and towards online, um, job came up at 90 Min and I, I uh, came over here. And it's been sort of three, four years since. There's a lot of work gone into that, hasn't there? You can tell, you know, you've... you've 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 done you've paid your dues as it were um i'm interested to know ben do, you, you sort of spoke about the amount of passion you have for football and you said working in the football industry is like a, a dream or it said it would have been to a 13 year old you does it ever dampen your love for football being in the in the industry as it were yeah it it, it definitely does i would it's one thing i would say to to people that are potentially trying to get involved in football just be aware of the fact that when you live and breathe football 24 7 um you you will find that you don't appreciate the game in the same way you definitely you still love it but it's just not in the same way there's there's the way that i go to the football now has changed a lot from standing in the park lane for 90 minutes um on a Saturday afternoon going absolutely bananas and then going home and complaining or being happy for the next six days until the next match day you know like um there is always something to do there is always something going on um and so it means that you become slightly desensitized to the highs and lows which could be seen as a good thing I guess but it's also a, a, a little bit of a negative I think the the wonderful thing about being a football fan is that you um that ultimately for that 90 minutes you, you have zero control it's the idea of surrender right you just completely surrender yourself to whatever is going on on the pitch and then you get lost in the fact that for for that 90 minutes you're a part of something bigger than yourself you're you're in and amongst 61,900 99 other people that are all willing their team on um and and the high of that is quite euphoric and and, but then of course like the the low of it afterwards is 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 something quite unique as well and then when you work in football it just kind of it shaves away the the top and the the lower and the upper reaches i guess of what are the the real ecstatic highs and then the kind of quite desperate lows um which i guess comes back to what i was saying earlier on about the champions league final in that it was it was crushing for me but the moment that the full-time whistle went i charged down to the mix zone to try and speak to as many of the players as possible to make sure that i could get some quotes that we could either run on video we could run on social we could run the site in in articles and that then means that the the reflection period disappears because i mean for for most of us when we watch a game i think the first thing that you do is you'd immediately respond to what happened on the pitch go for a couple of beers afterwards or you'd sit in the car on a long journey home from an away day and you'd talk through every facet of the game um and then before the game the um the kind of preview and the idea of waiting for the team sheets to come out and finding out who's going to be on the pitch that kind of disappears a little bit as well um but at the same time the trade-off is is that you get to talk about it all the time and like the reason why we all do it is because we absolutely love it you know so i hope i didn't put too much of a dampener on that there i don't want anyone to think that it's not absolutely wonderful it is the it's the dream it's the dream but the the thing that i would say the trade-off i would say is that match days perhaps just slightly become a, a little less euphoric in, 
in the same way, if that makes sense. No, yeah, it's, it's really good to have the reality of it as well out there because people, if people are considering this as a genuine career path, they need to, they need to know what it's going to be like from someone who's doing it right now. And, and I think we were talking, again, we were talking on Affair briefly about how you sort of separate Spurs from your job in, in a way so that Spurs is still your escape. So you might be working on a particular story about a particular club all week and then it comes to the weekend and this is your time to enjoy Spurs. So you'll still soak up all the Spurs content like a fan, um, not just with your kind of um, professional hat on, but you, you wanted to take it all in just for your own benefit, for your own enjoyment. And I think having that escapism, football is escapism for so many, but for you, having Spurs as a separate escapism must be really useful. Yeah, absolutely. And so I will now I'll make sure that I go and if I'm covering Spurs games, for example, I'll always go and try and soak it up a bit and try and remind myself that this is just like we're all all Spurs fans. We're so lucky to be walking down the high road still. I mean, there was a there was a point that it looked as if we might be going out towards Stratford. You know, I have to remind myself that like we're 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 in this fabulous position and um and so I've kept Spurs as as a as a as an absolute escape. I mean, I still speak to to Tetrunk as it as it were. We still sort of text um, WhatsApp all the time about Tottenham. So I make sure that Tottenham is there um, in in the, the the mad world of football media. Tottenham is still there as a bit of a, an oasis of calm or an oasis of madness, depending on how you look at the <laughs> first four weeks of the se- first four weeks of the season. But it's I still keep it as um, as the thing that we that that I use as my kind of uh, escape from work a bit. And I don't, I'd imagine that that's probably quite similar for most people, right? They get into the weekend and whatever whatever they've been doing from Monday to Friday suddenly kind of uh, becomes insignificant, and they can focus on the team for twenty four hours. Absolutely. segued beautifully there into um, the next section, which is the season so far for Spurs. Um, what, what have you made of the performances? We've only had four matches, but I think there's still quite a lot we can read from them. What, what have you made of them so far, Ben? Well, that's, that, do you know, it's really interesting that you say that the, the, when you say out loud, we've only had four matches. Doesn't that become weirdly, starkly obvious to you that, uh, that and all of us just how much we've read into four games? Yeah. Like all of us, at a time when the European transfer window was still open and we had no idea who was going to be at our club come, what, 4th of September or whatever it was, it, it's actually quite bizarre the amount that we've all read into those first four games. I think there's still patterns that we can definitely, definitely draw from. Um, the, for example, the, the fact that Aston Villa came and sat incredibly deep. They set the blueprint for every team other than perhaps Man City and Liverpool that are going to come to, I'm going to call it White Hart Lane, they're going to come to White Hart Lane for the rest of the season. That's a that's a pattern that was emerging at the back end of last season um, and is going to continue on for the rest of this season. So Newcastle, I don't feel like Newcastle did anything different from Aston Villa. They came and made themselves incredibly difficult to break down. They played with a shuffle midfield that meant that Kane had zero space to play in between the lines. They made it difficult for Lamella. They made it difficult for any of our forward players to actually build any momentum. Um, made it difficult for Harry Winks to actually anchor the team properly and control the tempo of the game because it was so slow and lethargic. 
Um, so there's patterns of uh, patterns of in terms of like the way teams are playing. But um, if you had said at the beginning that we were going to take a point off Arsenal out away at Arsenal, we're going to take a point away at City, we're going to beat Aston Villa. I'd be annoyed about the the idea of us losing to Newcastle, particularly now looking back, given we're so dominant. But I don't, I don't know. Do you do you think most Spurs fans would have taken that, or am I way wider the mark other no, than the Newcastle result? I, I'm totally with you, and I think if you factor in everything that's gone on as well in terms of the Willie won't he Ericsson saga in terms of the ridiculous number of injuries that we've already suffered in terms of new players bedding in and then Ndombele getting injured almost immediately there's so much going on aside from the 11 players on the pitch that mean to me that yeah of course you're going to have some some teething troubles of course like that that is completely natural the only thing that concerns me is what I said earlier that we would come back to which is Pochettino's just being a bit weird and he, he, <laughs> that's he, such a good way of putting it. He, he's worrying me a little bit, I must say. So I, I said in our last podcast or the podcast before that I think um, his ego has grown somewhat, and I think rightly so. You know, he's got to the Champions League final. He is he's the he's a big dog now. He's he's one of the big boys. He's what was highly the sought after that? manager. Well, what was the what was the general consensus? So. I'm, to be honest, I've not had any feedback on what I said. So it's, which, I don't know, might, might mean that people agree, might mean they disagree. But I, I just think he now believes his own hype a bit more and can basically say what he likes unchallenged. And so he, the fact that he is a bit odd, you know, he, we know that he believes in universal energy, which is not kind of your everyday <laughs> person's philosophy. He's, he's an unusual character. <laughs> And, and those statements he makes now just go into the ether and, and are taken at face value. Whereas before he was very, cautious with the way he handled the press he didn't give away too much of his personality he didn't really say anything controversial now he's sort of he's a bit more out there with with what he says um but he is do you know it, it, it's it's strange the way he's presenting the dressing room that's the only thing that concerns me do you know what i the, the, the thing that i take away from that is that he's certainly more he certainly gives away more of yeah. himself in the press conferences but he gives away less than he ever has in terms of talking about individual players for example so he he'll go on one of these diatribes or he'll go on one of these kind of like long winding discussions about how things are are, are going at spurs or, or or what he feels or whether he's angry or sad or frustrated but it's very rare that he'll tell you what he's actually angry or frustrated about so he'll he'll kind of play around the outside of it and he'll sort of say something along the lines of, well, it's a nightmare that the, the European window is still open and the players are unsettled. He won't say which players are unsettled. He won't <laughs> yeah. say that it's, he won't say it's, that it's the, the chairman's fault. He won't say that it's the, well, he, he sometimes will, will sort of shuffle it off on it being the league's fault. But what I take from that is that there is someone that he's pointing at. There are people that he's pointing at and he feels strongly about it. So he's obviously trying to send the message to someone, but it's frustrating. I imagine that, that most people it's certainly a, a, a frustration that I've felt is that I miss the days of him being this positive smiley upbeat guy and thankfully we got that off the uh, pre-Arsenal game I mean that was like a breath of fresh air wasn't it yeah when you when you saw him come out and whatever Daniel Levy had done in that when they'd gone for dinner like I have no idea what he said to him but he was a different man and and it that as a Spurs fan was just a joy like it was an absolute joy and for everything that all of us had said over the course of the last month we're like, oh god is this is this the end? Is this is him is this him alluding to the fact that he'll probably move on? Suddenly, all was right with the world, and you're sitting there, and he's making jokes about smashing Paul Merson up in the air, and I thought, <laughs> oh my god, I I love this guy. Like this this is everything that I want him to be, and, and maybe on some level that's a little bit unfair of us. Maybe we're expecting too much of him, given what he's had to what he's had to to work with. You know, I mean, it frustrates me as a Spurs fan that all of us knew at the beginning of the summer that three of the targets were Lo Celso and Don Bele and Sessegnon. We've known about Sessegnon for the past 18 months. You know, why are we getting the deal done on deadline day? Like you can imagine as a manager, that's enormously frustrating. Mm. That the, the season's about to kick off and we're getting a deal done on deadline day. I, I understand that's the philosophy of the chairman, but like, like um, Pochettino said in the press conference, they can have a wonderful um, personal relationship. They don't always have to get on professionally and it's important that they disagree sometimes, but it certainly made things more difficult for him, hasn't it? I, at the risk of sounding like an echo chamber, I completely agree with everything you just said. Um, the, so the only thing I would say is the way he's been and the way he's kind of spoken about things in this 
very vague, whispery way that implies that there's some kind of unsettled player, but not saying who they are. That absolutely feeds into my anxieties as a Spurs fan. And I think everyone just feels really on edge. And I think that is, yeah, you know, that like, like you say, yeah, that is on us. It's on us that we're feeling that way. But he's doing it for a reason. And if he's doing it to make a point, then yeah, I get that. I get the reasons why. But he must realise that it does make the wider fan base feel quite anxious about the situation. We are, we're still, okay, we've got the stadium built. We've got the training ground. We've got some wonderful players. But we're still in a fairly precarious situation in that we could quite easily drop out of the top four I don't think we will this season I think we're fine but we could it's not beyond the runs of possibility that we drop out of the top four and then to put it bluntly that fucks everything because we our our model now relies on us being in the Champions League for the for the financial income alone um and then all the knock-on effects that come with that the player transfers and everything else um so to, to have this additional anxiety that is created by stuff sound bites from Pochettino in the media media does concern me a little bit and I can't quite put my finger on what's happened like you say he does seem a lot happier since he had that dinner with Daniel Levy I presume there was a very expensive bottle of Malbec behind yeah. some of that happiness <laughs> and probably a very nice steak um hopefully a bit, chat about Dabala <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's these simple things but then you start to wonder why isn't the communication always that good what's been holding them back just having a, a chat what's what's stopped them sitting down together over the past three months to have a chat about what they what their expectations have, are for the future have you read uh Guillaume Balaguer's book I have made, yeah so I mean like it, it spoke a lot in there about about their relationship and it seems as if they've got a good relationship but yeah I can imagine that Daniel Levy just... I can imagine him going cold if he would like to go cold, you know, mm. and just sort of... Um, he's been ghosting he's, Poch. It, well, yeah, prob- probably exactly the case. I mean, it, it'd be easy to read a lot into what Trippier said. Um, I don't know if you saw the quotes from Trippier over the last week who said that um, he couldn't get an answer out of Daniel Levy and he couldn't get an answer out of Pochettino. And that, I mean, that's an age-old management tactic. You yeah. know, it, that's, that, that is, that's, the people were doing that 30 years ago. The idea that you just make someone feel a little bit frozen and then they'll make the decision on their own. And it saves you from having to do a, saves, saves you from having to do something that potentially could unsettle a wider group, you know? And, be, and perhaps the, sorry, go on, mate. Yeah, being a middle manager myself, I, I can totally empathise with Pochettino's situation there because sometimes position. you don't have all the information. You, you can't tell someone something if you don't know what the answer is yourself. It's, it, it puts you in the most difficult position sometimes. And so, yeah, I totally would get why he'd be frustrated about that. And, and I mean, he told us, he, t- he literally told us, maybe they should change my job title. Yeah. And that wasn't, that, that wouldn't, those are not the noises of someone who felt completely settled and completely in line with whatever the vision was. And that would be the, the, the number one thing that I would struggle with if, if, I mean, I'm nowhere near, but if I was in a position like that, on just on a personal level, I always like to know what is the North Star? Where are we going? Tell mm. me what the direction is. And if I was Pochettino, I would want to know that the direction is to catch Man City. That at the end of the day, we, we've, we've come close before. We've just got to the Champions League final. The ambition now has to be go on, to go on another level. So show me that you match my ambition and show me that you want to go out and either win the league or win the Champions League. FA Cup granted, we should be looking to win the FA Cup or the League Cup anyway. But we need to be trying to catch Liverpool and Man City. And I'm not saying we have to click our fingers and get there overnight but we at least have to show the ambition or we have to show that the intention is to go out and be the best and I can understand his frustration feeling like hang on a second I've just delivered probably one of the biggest the biggest performances in the club's history and one of the most incredible achievements in the club's history getting to the Champions League final why are we sitting here doing the same cycle like why are we pretending like this isn't an incredibly important time so I completely get I completely get his um get get where he was coming from and just sorry, go on, mate. I, just to say, I'm I'm totally sympathetic to that as well. Like I I I'm I completely understand why he would feel that way. But the timing is odd, isn't it? Because Levy's oh, just broken God. the club's transfer record and committed to break it again next season. Um, we we delivered some absolutely crucial players. We've somehow managed to keep hold of Ericsson, who's probably our second best player. Um, so the timing just seems a little odd. And, and when you, it's kind of. When you spoke there about, you know, seeing the North Star, having that clear line of sight, having that clear communication from top to bottom in the club, that's, we get that from Pochettino. We, we get that through his press conferences. He is our, he's the mouthpiece of the club for us. And so we need that positivity. Yeah, I I do think it's unfair, but that is the nature of, of football clubs. 
And and so when he's being a bit odd, when he's being a bit off or weird, like I said, it, it just makes you feel anxious. And I think that's I think that's a reasonable position as well. Well, and it's infectious. I think that's the, the point that you're making there is absolutely right, is that you can't not feel that way. I mean, after the Newcastle game, so I was in... I was, this is something I was quite keen to talk about with you, actually, Mick, because I wanted to get your opinion on this. So I was in the press conference after the, the Newcastle game, and mm. I was sat maybe three rows behind the people that were asking the kind of questions that got him so riled up. Um, and to me, the energy in the room felt like... It felt like he was being strategic. It felt like he was he was absolutely saying things that that were quite pointed, and whoever w- would whoever's ears those messages would fall on would know that he he meant he was talking about them. Um, and the way it was reported was quite different. The way it was reported was like this guy wants out. Um, and I, it just, it was just my opinion at the time in the room. I didn't get that vibe from him. I didn't get the vibe like this is over. I got the vibe of someone who was really angry about the fact that we were left in a situation where, as you said, our second best player could have left the club for a snip and left us in a horribly precarious position. That's, um, it's a big relief to hear that because, like you say, the way it was reported, the way it's been spoken about on on various um, podcasts amongst journalists. It, people people have been starting to say this is the end of the end of a line for Pochettino. This is the beginning of the end of a line. Um, so to hear you say that and to give a different perspective is very reassuring. Uh, so thanks for that. <laughs> I certainly <laughs> I, I feel better. It, it, th- there's no getting away from the fact that the Real Madrid job will come up at some point. Yeah, we all have to. We all have to just accept that when Zidane ballses it up and when he gets it wrong, Pochettino will absolutely be the first person they come knocking for. And we are going to fall victim to the fact that we've not done enough to keep him. We've not done enough to make sure that he's given all of the tools that he needs. Granted, we've done a lot for him and like he's grown with the club. You know, There's a reason why people are talking about him for the Real Madrid job. But when that job comes up, he'll absolutely take that job. And we shouldn't begrudge him for doing that. Um, but in the meantime, if, if Zidane does, is there until the end of the season, which I'm fully expecting him to be, then the hope is, is that this team grows and really... Reignites a, bit, reignites a bit of a spark again, Pochettino, and he sort of almost falls back in love with Pochettino version 6.0 or whatever he's calling it, and and um, and has that same fire and same passion that he had when. I mean, one my best memories of him is when Ericsson scored and we won two one at City, and he's standing in front of the fans going absolutely crackers. Like I want to see that version of Pochettino, you know. And, Absolutely, and no, I, I totally agree, and I think the, the the last thing I'll say on this is that. He he likes a project as well, so I feel like he's not had a young project player since Delhi. Um, I, I may have got that wrong, but Delhi seems to me to be the last player that he had to to really work on to make into a superstar, and he potentially has that now in Cessignon, someone who, who's got all the kind of raw tools to become fantastic. And I think Juan Foyth as well is, is another project for him that could keep him interested. How long do you think? How long do you think the the Cessignon cycle is in terms of th- that project? Because I mean, I used to I I go and watch a lot of Fulham games. Like I find going to Fulham is actually quite a quite an easy hop, skip and a jump geographically. So I'll go and watch a lot of games down at Fulham, and I watched them maybe ten, fifteen times on the season they were looking to get promoted when he was unplayable. Mm. But he he was finding himself in the six yard box. I mean, he was he was playing at left back and then somehow drifted forward to left wing and then was almost playing as a striker. Um, and then I. I felt like when he was put in the left back position when Fulham were in the Prem last year, he got found out a little bit and he was a little bit naive and, and tactically not quite there. So I'm interested to know how long you think the, the cycle is with him and how long you want to see sort of Poch spend on him before he begins to be immersive in the team. So I think there's a couple of things. So the first thing I would say is that he was basically one of Fulham's best players and essentially you want one of your best players to be doing stuff that damages the opposition team. So I think he ended up so far forward because he was playing for Fulham, essentially. I think he is going to be a, a very good utility man initially, and I think we'll see him play probably all over the place. We'll, he'll get a couple of games at left-back, left-wing-back. He'll get a couple of games probably on the right of midfield, um, possibly as number 10 even, but ultimately I think Pochettino will want him as Danny Rose's successor. And to me, that makes complete sense in terms of his physical attributes and I think in a Spurs team that plays with the fullbacks so high that they are basically wingers, it will suit his offensive attributes beautifully as well. And I, I think we'll, we're gonna, we've got a very good player in Ryan Sesson. I've got no doubts about that. 
Absolutely, absolutely agree. And uh, I mean, having some pace can't hurt. I mean, uh, it's one thing that I really, really miss is is the idea of having fullbacks that they're going to actually beat a man. You know, Danny Rose has slowed up a little bit. Um, I still absolutely love Danny Rose, but he slowed up a little bit, and his crossing perhaps is not at, of a of an elite level. So hopefully, we'll get a little bit of that from Session. And Session's got a good shot on him as well. How nice to think that we could have a player that could drift inside and have a shot. You know, I feel like that's something this season, particularly at home. I don't know whether you've found this as well, but I, I feel like we're struggling a little bit with the idea of of working out what home is for us. If teams are going to come to White Hart Lane and they're going to sit and let us have 60-70% possession and just put 11 men behind the ball, it's really important that we've got people who are not afraid 20-30 yards out to get their ball onto the stronger foot and have a bit of a crack. And I don't know whether you found this as well, but I, I feel like we're still really struggling with the idea of, of settling at home and knowing what Tottenham at home looks like. Um, we, we, we're all overjoyed to be in the new stadium, but if you think, I'm trying to think of in terms of like massive performances that we had there, and I'd have to look at the Man City in the Champions League. Um, but outside of that, there's not been a huge amount of big games that we've had there or games where it felt like we truly went and played like a home side like we did at the old White Hart Lane, if, if that makes sense. So I realise I'm opening a can of worms there. No, no, it's, it's interesting. I think the other thing that kind of it tallies with what you just said there is we've not really scored many goals from outside of the obvious players, basically. So we've not had like a defender that will chime in with 10 goals a season like Van Dyke does for Liverpool or a fullback that gets masses of goals and assists like Robertson does and Alexander-Arnold does. So having someone that can offer the goal threat, genuine goal threat, will be incredibly useful. Um, so Sessegnon has utility in multiple ways. Um, ben, I'm, I'm very conscious that you're actually at work today and I've <laughs> stolen you away from your desk. I've, I'm on a day off so I can get away with it. But thank you so much for your time. It's been absolutely fascinating and it'll be great to get you back on at some point to talk a little bit more in the thank- future. Thanks for having me, mate. It's been brilliant, and and uh, yeah, keep up the keep up the great work. It's as I said before, it's nice to be able to listen to to a group of fans that will uh, take a deep breath before they start a uh, start a podcast or start any sort of like video or media, and actually try and break down what's gone wrong or right, as opposed to just shout about whatever it is that's happened two hours ago. That's very kind of you to say. And um, where can people follow you online? And is there anything that you're particularly proud of that you'd like to plug? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I tweet a bit, so um, just at Ben Haynes on Twitter. You can follow 90 Min Football on Twitter as well, at 90 Min underscore football. Um, we create lots of content for YouTube, create lots of content for Instagram, so if that's up your alley, it's worth having a little, worth having a little look. Um, but yeah, that, those are those are the main ones. And then I think if anyone's looking for something a little bit more out there, we made a, a mini doc. Uh, last year with um, Spurs LGBT Society with the Proud Lily White. Um, I don't know if you've had Chris on or Simon on before, but um, they're both absolutely wonderful people and doing amazing things for the Spurs LGBT community. So um, you can find that on our on our YouTube channel, just 90 Min Football YouTube channel. Um, so yeah, definitely worth a little watch there. And it's a really good news story around the club as well. Awesome. Ben, thank you so much. And to our listeners, we'll be back with a regular episode very soon. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Barney for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindner for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud D Lindner. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.ca and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.